Hi there, Shaggy here. First of all, the Mike Arcada recording, something happened to it. We lost the second half. You miss Mike calling the Phoenix the thickest team in the league. That's thick with two C's and that uh, he would fight anybody in the league if he needed to. Um, that really happened. Secondly, we recorded this episode, Tuesday's episode, last week before everything started happening in the country Steve and I both feel like there are more important things going on than Ultimate right now, uh, and we're going to try to bring those issues to light. Um, on a personal note, uh, I think that it's deplorable what has happened in this country, um, both systemic and institutionalized racism has created parts of our society that will constantly make it difficult for people of color to succeed and for black people to succeed uh and we're gonna try our best to bring people of color on the podcast this week to talk about um what we as a community can do differently thank you and i hope you enjoy today's episode Welcome, Phoenix fans, to episode 28 of The Burning Bird. I'm Steve Leinert. I'll be doing the color commentary for the Philadelphia Phoenix on AUDL.TV once the season starts. I'm joined by my regular partner in crime and everybody's favorite Phoenix personality, Alexander Shaggy Shregis. Shaggy, how you doing tonight, buddy? I'm doing wonderful. It's been a great day. I ordered uh, food from a place, and they delivered it to me, which meant that my whole night got, like, way easier. What did you order, Shag? Uh, pokey. Pokey? Yeah, it's like a sushi salad, basically, pokey. Yeah, how was it? Was it any good? Yeah, it was good. All right, well, I mean, you know, having fish delivered in the, in the city can be a little sketchy. I mean, you know, I mean, as long as you get it from a reputable place, it's a, it, it can be really good or really bad. No, come on. Maybe in 1847 it was a big deal, but these modern days, I mean, they have refrigerators in the cars. They're traveling them in, you know. All right. Well, as long as you feel comfortable, Shag, that's that's the most important thing. Plus, from what Guys, I heard, you don't really want fresh fish, anyways. Why not? Well, the thing that I that I read is that you know good sushi restaurants will age the fish four or five days. And why is that? Uh, it tastes better, and you know it's it's kind of weird to get fresh fish. It's like impossible to get fresh fish unless you're in the ocean. Awesome. Yeah, on the boat, right. Right. At this point, it's coming from a truck either way. Good point. All right. Well, as long as it was it, it was delicious for you, that that's all that's all that you can ask for. Yeah, it's quite good. And speaking of quite good, we are joined by President of Operations, Mike Arcada. Mike, thanks for joining us again on the Burning Bird. Guys, I had to I had to resist cutting in there before my introduction because I know a great place to get your own sushi fish in Philadelphia. Where is this place? Uh, this is in South Philadelphia. Uh, and I, you know, I'm not sure of the name anymore, but um, Samuels and Sons is the uh, the big seafood distributor to all the restaurants in the area. And uh, they pull from the same warehouse. It seems like the customer-facing things had some different names. But uh, I always see those little blue and black fish uh, on the side of these trucks all around Philadelphia. In fact, I saw one today, 
and it always reminds me of uh, of this spot I got some some salmon and some tuna from one time. It's fantastic. I I don't know if I can ever go back to ordering sushi at a restaurant for twenty times what what you can get the uh, the fish for at this at this market. So highly recommend it. Making your own sushi. Oh. I've been gu- I've been guilted out of ordering tuna. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know, I know. There's some sort of ethical thing, but I prefer the salmon, and uh, it's good stuff. Farm no. salmon, that's what you want. Not ocean caught. Well, you definitely don't want ocean caught salmon. And you want the I mean, river caught salmon. Yeah, yeah. ocean caught salmon sounds fishy. I mean, that's where they <laughs> that's where they go though, right? Like they're they're in the ocean. Am I wrong? I not think a, they're in rivers. A, yeah, they freshwater. It's a freshwater fish. That's why they uh, can be farmed. Hold on. Hold on. Don't they swim up the river from the Atlantic Ocean to spawn? They definitely don't swim from the Atlantic Ocean. Mm, I don't know. Somebody get on Google. All right. I'll, I'll do that, and I'll bust in to Steve's question with whatever we got. Well, I just wanted to point out that Mike, you've you've probably done more burning birds at this point than Harvish. I mean, you've you've done more <laughs> you've you've done more burning birds than John Goodwin has done. Uh, John Goodman's done Saturday Night Live. You know, if we, if we qualified the burning birds as any time, if we qualified any time, the three of us got together and talked to the burning birds, and that would definitely be the case. So, uh, so oh, by the way, how did that IG takeover go yesterday? I heard good things. It went really well. Um, we we did an Instagram takeover for one of our sponsors, Coats, and um, players got to show a little bit of kind of their day-to-day lifestyles and workouts um, to the followers of both Coats and the Phoenix, and uh, it was cool. It was really cool. We we were planning it for a little bit, and it was nice to see it actually uh, put into action. Um, Greg Martin and Ian Dietrich did a great co-workout over uh, Instagram Live um, via their their separate locations and separate Instagram accounts. Um, I did a little interview in a park. Andrew Cyber did some throwing demonstrations, and uh, Nate Nate Little took us on a little bike tour around Philadelphia. It was cool. What was the uh, what was the most fun thing that was on there yesterday? The most fun thing? Yeah, like what was the, what was the thing that made you uh, put a, put a smile on everybody's faces? I'd like to say it was my interview. Oh come on but, now! Uh, <laughs> we know that can't be the case. <laughs> uh, uh, Greg and Ian did uh, their their workout was was cool. Um, Greg, I mean they're both actually some sort of. Um, uh, like physical training instructors, I don't know their specific job titles, but um, Greg was like, you know, he he might have been one of your like uh, TV personality uh, workout leaders, where you know constantly kind of pumping up the crowd and being like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna hit we're gonna hit this pace, we're gonna do these like this. Um, so he was he did a really good job um, keeping it exciting and energetic and. Ian, I, as I understand, does a, does a similar thing. So they're both really great at like leading an instructive workout class. Uh, 
Yes, we uh, we, we also we also uh, heard heard from a, a few different sources that there were. Now I don't have an Instagram account, thank God, because I get en- enough trouble uh, enough trouble with Facebook and Twitter. So uh, it's it's good that I don't have Instagram. But I also heard that you had a few personalities join you. Can you talk about who they were and? Yeah, um, so I was interviewed by uh, Ashley, I believe it's Salbo, um, who is uh, marketing director at Coates. Um, so I was kind of teaching, not teaching her, but kind of explaining uh, how to throw a disc to her. It might have been her first time trying out a forehand uh, and a hammer. Andrew had his sister join in, who was also an ultimate player, I guess former ultimate player, their, their high school in Philadelphia. Can you help me out? What high school did Andrew go to? Oh, the, the other, the one of two ultimate high schools in Philadelphia, Masterman. <laughs> you have to, you have to. <laughs> okay. I, I got there. Thanks for your help. Um, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they both went to Masterman High School, and I guess uh, she graduated maybe a, a couple of years ago, but um, played played ultimate there, maybe has been stopped, but uh, she was kind of doing some throwing demonstrations with Andrew in the park. And I guess uh, Nate, Nate Little's mom joined in as well. She was uh, doing a meditation session with him at, at their house, which was kind of nice and, and neat to see. Um, so, yeah, we, we had a supporting cast. Well, it wasn't just uh, Phoenix players. There was, there was a bunch of people involved with TakeOver. Also, an, an interesting development happened over the past uh, 24 to 48 hours in the AUDL was there was a an announcement of a possible way for the uh, season to uh, to to start back up and a way for the uh, for an, a truncated season to to uh, to to occur. Um, there were there there be seven pods of three teams and an eighth pod of four teams. Is that right? Or something of that nature. Ulti world broke the news. Um, and, uh, Tim, the from the Madison radicals confirmed that this was the case. Can you talk about this a little bit? Yeah. Uh, so it seems like, you know, options are being considered, um, for, you know, how to adjust season for current circumstances with coronavirus. Um, I guess maybe some format was um, put out, but I, I mean, any so any discussion that's happening right now is is very preliminary, and any time uh, an organization is going to consider an option, like you know, there's going to be some some planning that goes into that. So um, I think that right now they are looking at possibilities, but that does not mean uh you know something is is imminent or um in stone in in any way um i think i think they are literally just considering options and seems that maybe that um that information was you know leaked or whatever uh a little on on the early side but um yeah i i think that you know they're they're considering ways to get it done and um you know, you mentioned uh, a specific format, um, but I think before any of that kind of occurs, there's there needs to be a lot done and a lot considered um, by the league, and, and they're working on considering um, ways to execute safely for 
players, for our staff, um, for fans potentially, if there are even going to be fans. And there's there's still a lot of questions that need to be answered before any specific season format is considered seriously. Um, and those are kind of things I I mentioned, like um, the safety protocols and and what each team needs to do to to make sure that it's a safe experience at, at every game. And so what part of part of being on the burning bird is answering some of those questions here, and we're <laughs> we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna delve into a little bit of the the uh, the what ifs here, and uh, let, let's see what uh, sure. let, let, let's see what what comes out here. Okay, sure. so sure. Uh, so I mean because I mean first off, Isaac Saul came out, Bailey Saul's son and uh, former Thunderbird player. He made his feelings known that, that the league was being perhaps a little irresponsible. And um, that, that do, you, do you think the league is being responsible by perhaps even floating this idea at this juncture? So, yeah, I have to uh, be kind of frank and call that like irresponsible tag, like kind of laughable. Um, because what what we are talking about is hypotheticals and information taken seemingly a little out of context. And so to say that uh, to consider options is irresponsible, um, and I'm not going to, you know, point any fingers at anybody saying that, but just a reaction is that that's silly. Um, of course, it's not only fine but responsible to be considering options for how something could be done. Um, and like I mentioned, no season would go ahead without thorough and proper safety protocols. Um, and so I believe also mentioned in, in like the AUDL press release since then is there's um, a pretty large and um, reputable task force working on those safety protocols, and it's headed by our uh, one of our local owners, Christina Chung, um, and she's contributing her her medical background and understanding. It's also made up of CDC epidemiologists um, and doctors who work in certain capacities for the Philadelphia 76ers and Philadelphia Phillies. Um, I believe those doctors need to even be on um, advisory boards for those leagues, the NBA and MLB. So it's a supremely qualified group that's coming up with the safest way for us to play any games this year. Um, and, of course, we're going to consider options and just kind of see if it's possible. I think that that's the stage that we're in. Um, so any sort of, like, you know, uh, speculation seems, seems early to me. I know we, we want to do that. But um, speculating about the games that will be played, uh, passing judgment on, like, plans that are being um, floated right now, uh, is all way too early, I think, um, in the process. There's still, like I said, there's still a lot of things to be considered and established before anything happens. And how pivotal is it to have somebody like Christina in the ownership group of the AUDL, but also with her expertise and, and her background as in, um, what, what was that, uh, the uh, ophthalmologist or whatever, what, the, what was that word you, you used? Epidemiology, which is the study of viruses, I believe. Right. And uh, her her background in that. Um, thank you for uh, 
I, I can't use such big words like you, Mike. You know what I mean? That's a, the, I only uh, strung together like one more vowel than you did. Nice. Well done. Uh, but how pivotal is that to have her in, in that position? Um, uh, very pivotal. Extremely pivotal. Um, Christina uh, has, you know, some, somewhat of a background in um, virology and understanding of those things as as I understand it, um, but she's also extremely experienced in the medical world. Um, I believe her career has mostly been in transplant dermatology, um, but just that experience of organizing um, medical boards, you know, toward toward whatever end, whether it's discovering a correlation between post. Um, uh, transplant surgery, skin cancer, like as Christina's specialty, um, or working towards some other needs. I, I think just having that medical background and understanding uh, and connections has been really important. Um, she, I think, I think her biggest contribution so far has been helping to bring that group together and kind of using her contacts to find those those very qualified doctors to contribute their knowledge to, to the league's development of a safety plan. How, as, a, as a player, how safe do you feel? How comfortable do you feel behind those, the findings of that group and, and uh, how, how safe would you feel moving forward on a personal level? I, so I think that the biggest thing for me is that I trust that medical advisory board uh, more than anything. Um, they like just they have the knowledge and the expertise that I don't have to say what is safe and what is reasonable and all those things and I'm just not like I'm not qualified to to be like you're you're wrong you uh, three CDC epidemiologists you like this isn't how this should be done um, you know so so I I am putting my trust in that group and I know that. They understand that all players will be putting their trust in that group, no matter what call they make, whether it's to do rigorous testing or um, screen for symptoms or not to play. Uh, whatever they come out with, I'm gonna I'm gonna trust that you know they are the experts and they know what's best for for me and for players and and fans and whatever. Um, so that's that's my personal feeling is that I'm not like. I'm not stuck on one outcome. I'm just trusting that it's a qualified board and they'll do their job and I'll, you know, listen to the experts and kind of do what I'm, what is suggested. Have you guys talked amongst yourselves as a team and uh, maybe decided? Um, I don't think there's been a ton of group discussion uh, amongst players. I think the, the general feeling is, you know, they – Today we were all players. We are we love our sport and want to play our sport. We also want to be safe about it. Um, so there hasn't been a ton of like communal discussion about a decision or outcome. Um, and I think that also at this point that the league is at, you know, like every every player is going to make their own choice. And the league, like the AEDL, really has very little leverage over the players themselves as to what decision they will make 
and whether that goes for like playing this season or, or doing almost anything. Um, you know, we are a professional league. Um, we provide certain things to the players, but ultimately it, it is still at a point where, you know, players are playing because of their love of the game and not because they are beholden to a team contract or, um, or a paycheck. So they, they're really each making their own decisions about what is best for them, where, you know, what's safest for them. Um, and the other thing is a lot of people come in with different factors um, to consider. Uh, some players may be working in an environment that um, requires them to take extra safety precautions, or perhaps they have closer contact with elderly or at-risk um, family members. So everybody kind of has to consider their unique situation, and I, you know, there's there's definitely no judgment from me or any of the teams. I get the sense uh, for for anyone who felt that you know it, it wasn't right for them to to want to play um, under any capacity, you know. So um, yeah, I think it's I think it's very much case by case. All right, let's talk about something a little bit more fun here. All right, man. No, let's talk no, about let's, more, let's, more. Let's talk about this pod the Phoenix might be in if they if this was to come to fruition. You're yeah. you're back in it. You're back in it with New York and DC, and you're and you sprinkle in a little Boston. I mean, is is that something that the Phoenix would welcome, or is that something the Phoenix are like? Oh no, here we go again. Uh. <laughs> Yeah, it is. It is a little bit of like, a, you know, just when we. I mean, the the whole thing is is funny in how um, how drastically different, you know, the whole landscape is compared to what we thought it was or was going to be like, four, even four, three or four months ago. Um, so you know, since last November, we've been mentally gearing up for a totally new division, totally new opponents. Um, that was going to be refreshing, but also challenging. We were having all these different approaches to travel, kind of on the uh, front office side of things, and and playing that way. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, it's like uh, it seems like we're just getting clawed back into uh, that that same group of teams, um, at least in 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 what would probably be the only reasonable way to play would be to like play your most local franchises. Um, so yeah, this it is kind of funny <laughs> given the last like five or six months of preparation we've had to to be like, Yeah, actually no Tampa Bay, no Atlanta, just going back against the old nemeses. But for me it's kind of funny too, because it, it feels like the old uh MLU spinners uh East Division, which uh was exactly D C Boston, New York. Um yeah bouncing up and down the coast line and playing each of those teams like two or three times over that season. So, um, yeah, I'd say it's, it's uh, disappointing that we don't, you know, one way or another playing or not, we're not going to see Pittsburgh and, and Raleigh and Atlanta and Tampa still the future. Um, but it's also uh, almost nostalgic a little bit. Well, the Philly had a lot of luck in that last MOU season playing these teams, so maybe it's a, 
a bit serendipitous that they're in the uh, in this division in this pod for this year in the AUDL. Right, didn't we? I think I think I think Shaggy and I maybe I had said that about how uh, you know last time we played Boston we were uh, three and one, and then he he pointed out to me that this, this Phoenix team only has. And he, he ballparked, but was exactly right. Uh, seven former Spinners players on the, uh, the current Phoenix roster. Although uh, there is a Spinners player who's coaching the Phoenix roster. Yes, yes. I overlooked. Seven. Nate Vendetta was a, was a Spinners player as well in 2016. Now, the, the travel uh, becomes an issue. The Phoenix are centrally located between D.C., New York, and uh, Boston there. They uh, they could host some some games in the South Philly Super Site. You know what's um, funny? I think that Jersey's centrally located. We may end up having to go back to Wildwood after all, just to play all these games. <laughs> um, well, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be terrible. But if, especially if, if it's found that like the coronavirus can't exist on like hot beach sand for more than <laughs> half a second, and then we have to play beach ultimate. Uh, may, or maybe maybe Wildwood Beach Sand is the is the cure all for the coronavirus, and we just don't know it yet. Yeah, could be. <laughs> um, yeah, womp, we, we womp, are. <laughs> we are definitely conveniently located for that group. I don't know that that's, that's an interesting consideration as well in like a real world scenario. Um, is it best to gather? all the teams together in one place um, for one weekend, similar to what seems like the PLL, or no PLL. Um, yeah, professional professional lacrosse league um, and NBA and some other leagues are considering doing, uh, or is it safer to spread those things out and, um, you know, not have four teams get together in one place at one time? Um, I think that with the convenient location of, of these teams, um, that that safety uh, feature is probably the biggest question. You know, what's the what would the safest way be to accomplish this uh, this, this format? Uh, so I, I don't know if it would be a, a you know a South Philadelphia uh, bonanza weekend with like nine games or something in a weekend, but. Um, Having that home field advantage wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Although I don't know if there's even a home field advantage if there's no if there's no fan. <laughs> maybe just the, the spirit of uh, of like nearby Lincoln Financial and uh, Wells Fargo stadiums would be enough to give you like a boost. Little South Philly feel. Yeah, exactly. Opponents will be shaking in their boots one way or another. <laughs> yeah, you got it. All right, Shag, what else? Uh, what, what do you got there, buddy? I have a thousand things that I think are more interesting than Mike waffling about the response to COVID. I hope either can't answer I, or like doesn't know the answer to. I hope <laughs> one of them has to do with salmon. No, uh, you were right. Salmon live in the ocean, but yes. you're not supposed to catch them in the yes. ocean. They're adolescent. You're supposed to catch them when they're in the freshwater. So you're right, but we were right as to which salmon you want. Yeah. All right, so uh, do you remember when we lived at Chancellor Street and we played a game to see who could hit their head on the ceiling fan? Yeah. 
Do you think that you'd be? Do you think you'd be able to hit your head on the ceiling fan now? A hundred percent, yes. What do you think is the silliest thing that you've lifted um, in order to maintain your peak physical condition during this quarantine? I have to think because I lifted, lifted a couple of silly things. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, what would you qualify as clear? A uh, a tire or a milk jug, a gallon milk jug filled with water? <laughs> what was the... A, a, a tire in, only because the tire wait, wait, was wait. in your living room. Wait, wait, wait. I lifted both at the same time, so that's probably the silliest thing. Well, Steve, I don't know if you know this, but he also will bring the uh, tire out to a park and lift it there, too, just to make I, sure. I, I know, but then he'll bring it back into his living room and lift it there, too. So it's kind of – it's like bringing the dirty tire in your living room. It's, it's, no, it's no good. I don't understand. Why is it no good? Yeah, because it's a dirty tire. You're bringing a dirty tire into your living room. I mean, you gotta, Steve. you got you to gotta clean the tire. Steve, the tire was already dirty whether it went to the park or not. I know, but then you're bringing. Yeah, but but then you're bringing it in your living room, Mike. What are you doing? No, that's sillier. If he's sitting, if he's like taking time out of his busy, busy quarantine day to like put the towel, the tire in the shower, that's much sillier than lifting it. Well, I don't know, man. I would, I would have tried to find a way to hose off the tire or something. I don't know. I haven't tried lifting a with a length of hose yet. Maybe that could be resourceful somehow. Cool. Uh, like uh, you know, the tire, the tire comes in straight straight from the park. Maybe it gets a little bit of a dust off, uh, and is getting just as much use. Mike, you and I have played a lot of basketball against each other, and uh, you've been, I think, glossed over in some of the basketball rankings on the team. Who do you think are the best basketball players on the Phoenix? Matt Ballman is by far the best basketball player. I think I've only seen him and, like, three other people play. But uh, at a clinic we did, he maybe sank, like, six or seven threes in a row and then missed one and went in and dunked the ball. So it's like, what are you going to do against that? Um, I don't even know if there's, like, a close second to that Ballman. Unless there's somebody sneaky like Alex Thorne is like a John Stockton that we don't know about. <laughs> uh, really, James, James Pollard? James Pollard doesn't come close. Uh, James is pretty—he's uh, you know—we've only really played uh, like driveway basketball uh, with like you know a court that's like. 15 feet wide, maybe like 25 feet wide. So it's really hard to tell how good of a shooter or driver or anything anyone is in that setting. Um, Someone could have been like amazing, but they just can't move the ball anywhere and are dealing with incompetent teammates like me. So I don't know. That's a a pretty good answer. Uh, What if you had to switch this team sport from ultimate to something else? What would you switch the 2020 Phoenix to? Oh, my God. Coats is the mineral sunscreen that's so simple, the ingredients are in the name. 
Code stands for contains only titanium and zinc, which means no preservatives and no chemical sunscreen filters on your skin. Visit cotzskincare.com to learn more about healthy sun protection and to get your supply of coat sunscreen today. Welcome back, Phoenix fans, to another segment of The Burning Bird. I'm still joined by Alexander Shaggy Stragus. I'm Steve Leinert. Shaggy, you know what happened to me today, man? You know what happened because the weather turned warm? What happened? And, and this pertains to our, our, our upcoming guest. I'm hoping he can shed some light on how to alleviate this now sudden problem. But all of a sudden, these big black carpenter ants came out of nowhere, and they're in my kitchen, man. They're, oh, no. they're yeah, they're, they're they're scary, and like they're they're big, and they're and they're and they're ugly, and you step on them, and they make this crunching sound, and it's like not good, Shag. You know, I got like, I, like you know, I'm, I got some tarot, and it says like it's like this instant kill like spray or whatever. But like, I don't want to spray this stuff around where I eat and, and 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 whatnot. You know, I mean, this is this is a real this is a real dilemma. Yeah, you got to clean your surfaces. I think I don't really I, know. I, I've been lucky I, to not have ants so far. I'm sure now that I just told you that, I'm gonna go downstairs. There's gonna be a bunch of them, but. No, these ain't, the, these ain't the little ants that eat your, like, like spilled sugar that you left over from your coffee in the morning. These are the, these are the big ants that eat wood from, like, <laughs> you know, in your house and stuff. Oh, man, I got no idea. Yeah, I, I, have, no, I have no idea either, but I'm hoping that longtime Phoenix player Matt Esser and woodsman Matt Esser can and shed some light on the problem. Matt, thanks for joining us on The Burning Bird. Oh, my pleasure, and I'm so glad that you brought this point up because today I also battled ants. We have a we had um you know a house invaded by those little ones that eat up all your sugar and all those, not the big carpenter ones. Um, but what I did is I have a five uh, not five gallon, probably a two point five gallon spray bottle, um, one of those little tanks that you carry around and you pull out the trigger. And I went around to all the windows on the outside, Steve, the outside, not where I eat. Um, and made sure to spray down all the windows to make sure no ants can enter the house. Genius. See, but the problem was, as soon as I did that, all the ants that were inside the house were trapped on the inside of the house. Mm. So I had to take a vacuum cleaner and find them and, and suck them all up. Okay. Yeah, one by one. One by one. Well, three by three. <laughs> the ants go marching two by two. <laughs> all right, that's the, that's the, so I got to attack them. From the outside first, trap yep, them in. From the outside, and, yep. and then and then I gotta sit there with a vacuum cleaner and just suck them up as they come out. Precisely what I did, and it's working. All right. It I mean, also it's... it also <laughs> sounds like you might have a specific spot that they're coming from. They're these big carpenter ants. So maybe you have like one faulty board in the house. You gotta find it. I don't know, man. Yep. It's, it's, it's like it's probably out. It's probably underneath my oven or something of that nature. And I'm like, I don't know if I can move my oven by myself over here. It's pretty bad. Yeah, I don't know what you're gonna do about that. <laughs> I don't know what I'm gonna do about it either. Well, I mean, at least I got a, a direction to go. And thank you to Matt Esser. So, so you're Matt, welcome. I got Matt. I got a, I got a lot of questions for you here on the Burning Bear. Thanks for coming on. Um, Great, I got a lot of answers. So that's that's some say all the answers. You got your? Did you get your start uh, playing ultimate at Millersville or before that? I got started playing at Millersville, freshman okay, year of get, college. How did you get started there? Um, well, 
they were playing out on the quad in the like the middle part, and I was like, hey, I want to play this. Uh, I played a little bit with my older brother Greg Esser, um, who learned at Hamilton University, and he'd come home and we invented a game called Procky, where you were allowed to run with the frisbee and you'd throw it as hard as you could at the other person and try to score a goal. And that's how I learned a little bit, and then started playing a little bit more organized frisbee with Millersville Moose. That's a tough way to learn, there, man. <laughs> yeah. Well, it taught me to throw really hard. <laughs> so, who were, who were some of your teammates at Millersville? Some of my teammates at Millersville. So, um, Sean Johnson, who was a GM of the Phoenix a long time ago, who you know, I'm sure. Um, Dave Kelly, um, Ken Wells, K-Dub, um, Zach Thurston, Juggs was his name. Um, just a, a bunch of guys that played early Phoenix days um, were definitely with me. Yeah, FJ was the GM the year that I was the coach of the Phoenix. He's the one that convinced me to come on as the as the head coach. And uh, Dave Kelly was on the team the year that I was uh, as the coach there. So I was uh, I was sad to miss you. Why would why did you miss that year? I I I missed that year. I wish I wouldn't have. Um, mainly, one of my biggest regrets in Ultimate is a, a, a international trip that I still don't admit to my friends that happened um, that you were there for. And uh, I went and played the Spinners for three of those years. You know, as a as a longtime Phoenix guy myself, I mean, I, I would always go to the tryouts, and you would always be there late night to to uh, cheer on your 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 former teammates and your friends. And it always seemed like that you had uh, a lot of love for the Phoenix and ties to the Phoenix organization that, that, that it never left you. Is that something that you felt? I have so much pride for the Phoenix. Um, you know, you see people go off and play for New York and, and not play and want to play club, but Phoenix was always what I loved. I loved the ownership. I loved the relationships. I, I loved the, the Phoenix family. So with a PH right there. <laughs> Hey, can you, you were you were part of the early days of the AUDL. Uh, can you can you talk about what they were like compared to now? Um, it's definitely come a long way since the early days. Um, the early days, it was kind of like <laughs> last minute you show up at a, a carpool location, you figure out who's going to drive on the fly, you get in the car, and you show up at a at a a tournament or a, a game against, um, you know, a team that doesn't exist anymore, like the uh, Dragons. Um, and, you know, you still, have, you still have fans in the audience, but the game was a lot sloppier. So I've been told by uh, different players on the team that you told them that you used to uh, grab the disc in people's hands when they went to pivot on the mark as something that you got away with in the early days of Phoenix. Is that true? Oh, you still get away with that. <laughs> I only really do it in practice just to, like, throw off my teammates. Um, you know, they're going to pivot, and you just, like, you know, have your hand down by your hip, and you just, like, you know, grab the inside rim, and they get flustered and throw it away, you know. But I, I keep lecturing the team and talking to the team about, you know, intense defense and um, how we we at practice need to come out really hard, real physical, uh, because I learned that trick from probably New York. Um, and if you if you come out flat on defense in practice, as soon as you get to the game, your offense line freezes up. They might complain that someone you know touched them and you know get get set off their game. So I think it's important to bring bring the real defense every time you step on the field, whether or not that's in the frisbee a little bit and doing some uh, shots below the belt, you know. Now is that is that like borderline on the integrity call there, or 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 do you think that that is that because the the league 
as referees that the onus is on them to make a call. So that's definitely an integrity rule, um, not spirited, and I, I don't do it in games. I don't think I've ever done it in a game, but I just kind of do it in practice to, to rev the boys up. Okay, that's cool. All right, that, I mean, and what do you what do you think about testing the uh, the line? Because some teams do that in games. They 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 push that line and they see what they can get away with and what they can't. Do you think that that's something they should get away with? I mean, you definitely shouldn't get away with that. Um, but I mean, I agree that with respect, you should test the limits. I mean, other teams are getting themselves a. Uh, a mechanical advantage by stepping in front of you or, um, you know, doing other things that are, you know, tough to see. Um, and, you know, if if that's what you need to do to get a competitive edge, and I think it's it's fine to do. Um, turn back on club, though, um, you know, that's not going to not gonna fly. Your opponent's going to call that right away, and you gotta you got to tone that down. I mean, in that same regard, I don't think I've ever seen you really – complain to a referee about a call is that part of it like you're going to push the limits but if you're called on it you're called on it oh i'm never going to complain to a referee i i coach soccer as well and when the ref makes a call you know they make the call um never in the history of a sport has a player complained about a call and the whistle decide the uh, ref decided to change their mind so i think whatever they call is great and you know i i know i'm testing the limits and when they catch me they catch me <laughs> So, I mean, I, I love it, and I love to bring that intensity. Um, but, you know, when, when you're playing on the field and, you know, you're playing against someone that's like, come on, come on, Esther, it's like, okay, I'll stop. You know, it's it's testing the limit with them, too, the player you play against. Um, I, you know, I play against physical people, and them and I, you know, bump shoulders back and forth, and, you know, it's all good. Um, you know, if I play against someone that I bump a shoulder with um, and they complain to me, I'll, I'll, I'll back up. Now, who who are some of the players that you like to get physical with in the AUDL that and they're okay with it that maybe you go back and forth with a little bit? Um, Max Stahl, Marcus Stahl. Um, him and I used to get pretty physical back and forth, um, but always, you know, you know, always good enough for each other. You know, not complaining to each other. Um, uh, what team did Marcus what, Stahl play for? He played for Pittsburgh. Now he plays for the Breeze. Um, and uh, Wodach, Wodach for D.C., who is another old-time guy. Um, him and I would always, you know, bump shoulders back and forth, and, you know, we're buddies, but we're competitive with each other. Wodach is one of your guys, Shag, right? Uh, his brother, John Wodach. Jeff Wodach is probably the better ultimate player, but I don't know anything about him. John went to UConn. <laughs> played at UConn together for four years. So I got oh, cool. Got my Wodatch is confused. Yeah, so. that Wodatch is a New York Wodatch. Also someone who is, you know, the whole Wodatch family is built the same. They're all, like, brick they, houses they, that don't look like it. Hey, man, I, 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 wondered, I, I never got to see this game in person, and I've always wondered what what it was like down down there in Wildwood for the playoff. Oh, my God. Yes, I, I would say that that is one of the best – I mean, that is one of the best games and most fun that I've ever had. Um, uh, the Eagles halftime show would be a, a quick competitor to that now. Um, but at the time that was just amazing. It was so crazy how they decided to change the, um, venue of the, of the game to be down at Wildwood, um, where people could walk right from the beer garden, right down to the, um, to the games. Um, it was a packed house. Um, it was a really good game, um, intense back and forth. We kept it close the whole time. Lots of good D's, lots of points. 
um, it was it was awesome. The crowd was really into it, um, and it was just amazing venue and amazing game. I wish we would wish we would have came out with a win. What what would you uh, what was your expectation level going into this season prior to the uh, quarantine? This this season was it's still going to be awesome. Um, I think we had a, a I, I really wanted to make it to playoffs, and I knew that if we did that, we'd you know give Raleigh I think it was a, a good game. So that was really my goal to make it there, and then you know expectations were set, and we we go from there. Um, I love being the underdog in in big games when people think you're going to lose and you come out on top. Um, and I thought I thought we were there. We had a lot of young players that were really playing their hearts out. Uh, I think I was I am in some of the best shape of my life. I, I lost a few pounds and been running hills every day um, to, to stay in shape. So I was really looking forward to it, and I, I still think it's going to be awesome as soon as it opens up. Would you say that you're in better shape now or when you were competing for the American Ninja Warrior? Oh, I'm way more prepared now. I think my problem with American Ninja Warrior is that I was too prepared. I, like, went on a diet beforehand, and it uh, just didn't didn't work out. I should have went in on the underdog story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was the, what That wall was slippery. That's all. I was just going to ask, what was the biggest obstacle that you had to overcome in that Ninja Warrior uh, course? Uh, well, it's it was crazy. So it's it's four. I'm gonna come up with excuses here, but it's 4 a.m. and um, you know, you're tired. You don't really get to see the course before you run it, so you just go out there and you just do what's in front of you. So I started with the quad step. So I did hear though that people weren't getting past the third obstacle, um, which was a a balance beam that rocked back and forth, the snake ladder they call it. So I went out. I did the quad steps, which were a little harder than I thought they were gonna be. Um, I practiced a hundred times, but in practice, they don't give as much. So you step on it and it gives a little bit, but you get to the end of that quad step and then you had to grab onto this giant log that was hanging down and it, it rolled down a staircase. So it thud, thud, thud as it fell down and I jumped on it really fast and I, I just didn't grab it hard enough, I guess. And as it went down, uh, my inertia was pulling me towards the water and dropped me into the water and it was cold. <laughs> I'll send you the link for that. Was it a good experience overall? It was a great experience, and I show it to all my students. I'm an eighth grade physics and chem teacher. I show it to all my students every year, and the essay question on the test is, why wasn't it Mr. Esser's fault that he lost an American Ninja Warrior, but really Sir Isaac Newton? <laughs> <laughs> well done. So I have a lot of fun with that. I, I show them the video, and we dissect every part of it, slow motion it, um, just to make it look fun. Just a few moments ago, you brought up the uh, Eagles uh, halftime show with the uh, Phoenix uh, versus the Dallas Roughnecks. Where uh, now you you got a, uh, a a layout block and threw a hammer during this halftime show. Which one do you want to talk about first, Matt? Oh, the layout. The layout was just so awesome. The, the layout was. <laughs> I thought you were told beforehand there was going to be no defensive block going on in this particular game. Yeah, they said if there's going to be a defense block, make it look awesome. Oh, okay. All so, right. that, was the, that was the rule. All right. As long as that, yeah. was, that was what was said, then, then that's okay. Exactly. And when I like, – they threw it up deep. I was running it down. I felt I, you know, felt someone on my shoulder a little bit. I think it was uh, – uh, I don't know. Uh, Lewis was back there too. Um, I, I uh, felt it in my back, and I'm like, I got to make this look good. I did a big, you know, chest-level layout. Um, and, and grabbed it. And while I was in the air, I heard, like, I felt the oxygen, like, drain from the stadium. Um, and, and then as soon as I hit the ground, I heard, like, applause like I've never heard. And sure, there weren't all 80,000 people there watching, but it was still felt like 30 or 40,000 that were 
pumped about that halftime show and that layout. Yeah, what, what's that like? What's that feeling when you feel the air suck out of a stadium? It's It, like, shuts down. It's kind of like slow motion. It's just like you, you don't breathe. You just, you just, I don't know, feel like you're in a vacuum, and and you just, you know, do it. You hit the ground, and it doesn't hurt at all because you made the D, and oh, I love it. All right, and what happened with the hammer? The hammer, um, I threw up a big breakside hammer to my boy Greg Martin in the end zone. Um, and I guess uh, he just he just dropped it. It was it was a close one, but um, he'll get it next time. I know it. <laughs> you won't hesitate. You, you just won't hesitate to throw those hammers to Greg Martin, will you? I will throw anything to Greg Martin anytime. <laughs> All right, and uh, he's awesome. No, he no question about it. And and uh, one of our one of the few Phoenix players we haven't interviewed yet on the Burning Bird, a, a future guest, uh, um, I'm sure, right, Shag? Well, we're going to have to wait until the season or until I can uh, meet up with him because he he hasn't responded to me. But I don't think that that's on him so much as it is just on the methods of communication. So, Matt, you were talking about making the playoffs with the, with the Phoenix. And yep. it's still possible this year if, if the season is played under the uh, format that the AUDL has put out there where the, the, team, the, the teams are broken up into eight pods. And the uh-huh. Phoenix, the Phoenix would be in a pod with New York, DC, and Boston. Not, yep. not, not unlike your MLU days. Do you think the Phoenix have a chance in finishing in the top two? Yeah, I think we do. Um, I think that we are, are going to go into it as underdogs, um, but I think that we can beat DC. Um, I think that we can do that pretty handily if we play tough defense and smart O. Uh, we definitely have the throwers. We definitely have. Um, some awesome additions to the team. Um, yeah, so I think we can take them down. Um, I'm never really scared of Boston. I enjoyed playing Boston a lot um, back in the day and, uh, you know, even in club. Um, and I think that they will be a fun game, but I think we'll beat them. Um, and then the last team is going to be New York. Um, and last year we almost took New York. I mean, it depends on the day, who wins that game. And I think the day can run towards us and we'll we'll take the win. I got a, just a few more questions. You mentioned um, Sean Johnson and Dave Kelly earlier in the, in the podcast. A few of your Millersville teammates. You still uh, you still play with them uh, from time to time. Were you on uh, Rumspringa this past yep. uh, this club? Yeah, you you played with them. Uh, Jeff George yes. was on. Jeff, Jeff George played with you guys uh, on that. Oh, team Jeff George well. is a great asset to the team. Yeah, no, no, no. Well, it's funny that you say that because as you know I'm sure you're you're his favorite Phoenix player. I mean, what's, oh, yeah. it, like, what's it like being Jeff George's the owner's favorite? Jeff George is a man. Um just always enthusiastic, you know, always knows what to say, what to do, how to coach, what to tell you, how to play. Um and I love, you know, being friends with him. I love, you know, playing for him and I love playing with him. And what's it like being able to still play with all your boys from college, like not to feel the pressure to play patrol. I love ultimate. Um, and I played pro and club and, and like indoor um, club nationals. I played like four or five years. I did, you know, three seasons of ultimate all the time. I went to nationals with patrol twice um, and it was great. Um, but it, it was, it was taxing, taxing on my body, taxing on my my social status outside of Ultimate. Um, so I decided, hey, let's uh, get back together with the boys. Um, I would I would put the number of Millersville players that played pro up against um, almost any other college in Pennsylvania, 
there are a lot of a lot of us have played pro, and when we get back together and everyone just is fun and having a good time, um, we just we just love ultimate. Your brother Sam and I have have, have traveled the world together. Um, yep, for sure. And you and uh, and your brothers just went on a uh, a, a European tour. Um, can can you just talk about what it's like to travel with your family and your brothers? Yep. So so I, I mean I love traveling. I've been to over thirty countries, played ultimate and as many of them as I possibly could. Um, it wasn't just a European tour. Um, me and my oh, brothers. That's right. I'm yeah, it's, it's all good. So my brother Sam played Phoenix for some years. My brother Greg uh, played DC Breeze for some years. Um, and the three of us last summer bought a car in Pennsylvania, drove it to New Jersey, and then shipped it to France. We then <laughs> flew to France, picked up the car, drove it all over Europe, drove it through Turkey, drove it through Azerbaijan, um, Turkmenistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, <laughs> Russia, Mongolia. Now, now, Dustin said the car didn't make it all that way. Yeah, so the first car broke down in Germany on the Autobahn. We were driving a little too fast, you know, a lot of people in there. Um, but that's when, you know, the trip would end for a lot of people. But we found another car, and we continued on in an Audi saloon. So <laughs> when you're on that car ride, who gets shotgun? We split it up. Uh, we, it all depends on who wanted to drive. You know, some days I would drive an eight hour day and we, we just split it. Um, whoever was in the front seat navigated, whoever was in the back seat got to play games or, um, would look at, look up, um, you know, what, what city we're going through, what good waterfalls there are, what swimming holes there are, or go onto Facebook and look up the city and go to like Baku ultimate and message the group and say, Hey, we're three Frisbee players traveling through. Can we stop in and teach a clinic? or play a game, or have a place to crash, and we were taken up many times. People gave us couches to sleep on, floors to sleep on. We taught 10 or 12 clinics in different places with people that didn't even speak English or all spoke different languages, and it was just an incredible ultimate experience, um, which is unlike any other sport or activity that you can just go into a place and you automatically have friends anywhere you go. Uh yeah, did you did you make many Phoenix fans along the way? Um, we met in Europe. We met a lot of people that knew what the Phoenix were, um, knew who we were sometimes. Um, but as soon as we got out of Europe, um, they knew what the AUDL were, was. But a lot of people didn't even follow Ultimate too much, especially in Middle Eastern countries. What and what was it like for you to teach Ultimate in the Middle East? Um, it was awesome. It was, it, we, we taught it and we now, you know, see people that follow our, our page, which is straight out of Kempton. Um, and they follow it and we see them throwing Frisbees and doing all that kind of stuff, playing ultimate in streets and all sorts of stuff, teaching their friends and family. And we love to see that. All right. Follow, follow Matt Esser's uh, Facebook page straight out of Kempton. Yep. Straight out of Kempton. Straight out of Kempton. All right. Um, Sag, what do you got, buddy? Uh, I got a couple things. The uh, first thing, and I'm almost afraid to ask it, Matt, but we we heard from some people a rumor that you uh, were considering retirement after this year. Is that true? You know, every year I consider retirement. Um, every year I write my retirement speech, and every year I just can't stay away. I love it. I love pro. Oh, well. Yeah, that was my guess, is that, that a similar thing would happen to what you said. Um, and yeah. then in the 
in the spirit of the Phoenix announcement, you said that um, Mott was your favorite player because you can beat him up. Can't yep. Be- You're definitely bigger than Mott is. I have no – I can see. Like, that's clear. But Mott's yep. like – I would not be surprised if Mott was the scariest person on the team in a fight. He just – something about no. him always makes me seem like he could, he could take anybody. I don't know what it is. Oh, no, 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 no. You should you should try to run him down and see what he says because he usually runs away. <laughs> and if he doesn't, if he doesn't, I beat him up. But that's just you know that's just a, a monthly thing. No, no, not too much. <laughs> now, Mott, Mott is an awesome player. Love playing with him. Great attitude. Um, knows when to fool around and joke around and have fun, and knows when to sit down and get to business. How's Mott yeah. the captain? Mott's a great captain. Um, always knows what he talks knows what he's talking about. Um, always leads by example, of course. Uh, won't put anyone down, but knows how to pick people up. See, you seem more experienced in long car rides than most people that I know. I mean, given all these trips that you've been on, what was uh, yep. the best? Yeah, what was the best Phoenix car ride you've ever been on? Or bus bus ride? Oh, we've uh, there. There's been a lot of crazy Phoenix trips in a van or a bus. Um, mostly ones that we play mafia <laughs> and mafia. It's ridiculous. It's, I would recommend that any ultimate team never play mafia because <laughs> it, it, it's all about, if you haven't played, it's all about who can lie the best, who can like get under someone's skin and make them lie or make them make a mistake and then jump on, jump down their throat as soon as they make that mistake. And, you know, we did that. And, after that, after that bus ride back from Canada, no one really wanted to talk to each other anymore. <laughs> but uh, we we got over that, I guess. But don't play mafia with the frisbee team. <laughs> but it was awesome. Hey Matt, one of your uh, one of your goal scoring celebrations is when you uh, flip upside down and grab the uh, end zone padding and, and slide down. <laughs> when did you come up with that, and how did you come up with that? Um, my boy Jack Casey came up with that one, um, and he always he did it at practice once, and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And then the very next day, I scored first uh, uh, at one of the pro games, and I did it, and then it became my thing. <laughs> I need, yeah, I, I missed that. I need to do that this year. I need to do some more backflips too. So that, those two things are on the agenda this year. What what we have- Sorry? No, no. What made you bust out the mohawk? Oh, um, depends who you ask. If you ask the principal of my school, I bust out the Mohawk because uh, we got PSSAs coming up and I'm trying to motivate the kids. Um, if you ask a, a teammate, it's because I'm trying to intimidate the opponents. Um, and if you ask any of my track students, um, it's to motivate everyone for our first uh, track meet so everyone runs their best times. So it's a multi-factor Mohawk. Yep, it's awesome. Right now I don't really have the Mohawk. I have a, a yarmulke. I have like the mohawk, but then it's all, it's only in the very back middle of my head. <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> all the cool uh, kids are doing it. Nice. We, we had we had Arcada on just before you, and he said that you and him were the only two people that really have any good goal celebrations on the team. Yeah. But now there's so many new kids. Do you have any kid, like any of the rookies who you think are uh, gonna bust something out that you're excited for? So we before the um, before the Eagles game, we all sat down. And we came up with different 
Oh, we didn't sit down. We played a game, and we all, like, came up with different end zone celebrations, and I pulled out a bunch of the old school ones, like the canoeing one and the grenade one and the flip cup one, and everyone loved it. And they were like, where'd you come up with these? I'm like, yeah, these are not, like, I didn't just come up with these. These are, like, <laughs> things that everyone does. And uh, um, so, wait, back to your question. Um, I mean, Himalaya's arrow shooting is an amazing celebration. Um yeah, I don't know about too many of the young guys. I got to get them on that. Yeah, we don't want things to get boring in the booth there this year, there, Esther. Yeah, we you definitely know? don't want that to happen. I'll do whatever I can in my power to make sure that doesn't happen. There you go. <laughs> what do you What do you think of the new stadium down in South Philly? Have you been there yet? Yeah, it's a great place. Um, it's cool that there's, like, bars. One of our sponsored bars is, like, a walking distance away. Um, it's easy for people to get to. Um, so I'm pumped about all the fans that are going to come out. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be awesome. I love the spot. Good practices. Um, good uh, view of the skyline in the background, too. All right. Jack, you got anything else? No, that was, that was what I had. That was really fun. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. I love, I love answering questions, and, I, you know, I love – Love that you guys are doing this and spreading the word ultimate to everyone. I want everyone in the world to know what it's like to have an awesome community and an awesome sport and an awesome way to be best friends with someone that you just played against. Do your, do your students ever ask you about the Phoenix? Oh, yeah. They watch the games. I have students that come to our games. Um, yeah, they ask about it all the time. I show them highlight videos. They they love ultimate. Um, I don't. They always ask me to coach a team. They're like, Mr. S, will you coach a team? But I always tell them if they want to start a team, I'll show up and I'll play and I'll, you know, give them pointers and stuff. Um, but I don't really want to coach. I already coach uh, wrestling, track, and soccer. Um, so I kind of don't want to do ultimate 24-7. It gets to be burnout mode in the, at, at some point. Yeah, it becomes a job rather than fun. Shag, you got anything else? No, that was that was my last question. <laughs> and I just <laughs> at the end. Great All questions. Right. You guys made me think a little bit. Oh, sorry there, uh, Matt. We we thought we smelled smoke. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. For, for Alexander Shaggy Shragas, for Matt Esther, I'm Steve Leonard. We'll be right back. All right. Perfect. We might not be perfect. right back. Can sorry, you say sorry. Yeah, I'll, I'll just I'll just record a second one saying that the, it'll be like you know thanks for joining us. Yeah, this week on the Burning Bird. All right, I'll do that one now. All right, so you can pick which one you want. Perfect. All right. For Alexander Shaggy Stragus, for Matt Esser, I'm Steve Leonard. Thank you for joining us for another episode of the Burning Bird.